Welcome to Threads of Enlightenment, your journey into personal growth. The splendor of any decision is after you've made it, all that remains to be seen are its consequences. My name is Ken Primus. I am your host. Here at Threads of Enlightenment, we talk about the principles of self-development and personal growth. By having conversation with people, who have walked through their journey of personal growth. We believe that everyone at some point in their life will have to deal with one or more of these principles to have the privilege of focusing on their self-development as humans. These principles, when applied, can help you to become the best self possible. Welcome to another episode of Threads of Enlightenment. And as usual, I would like first to welcome our guests. And I know that their time is precious and that their story also, their journey is also of precious quality. And I want to thank them that they trust us enough to come here, sit down and embark on their journey with us and make us part of it. I want to thank you, Dr. Price, for coming to Threads of Enlightenment. Uh, Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ken. It is my pleasure. I could not wait all day. I was excited to have this conversation. Tell the people about how they can reach you. What are the things that you have created by which you teach or serve? As I always tell people, we have that um, we are given the gift of servant. So talk to us about yours. I have created uh, several programs that take someone from a disempowered state to an empowered state around alcohol. So my most popular program is called Drink Less Lifestyle. And what I teach there and in my podcast uh, is about tools where you can stay empowered, where you have control again, um, and you reach this state where you can just take it or leave it with alcohol. It's not necessarily avoidance um, because sometimes when we take things totally out of our lives, initially the brain will want them and we will crave them more. And I rather come at it as a focus of, we just don't need it and crave it in our lives more. And if we choose to have it, um, we have that power to stop after just one week's. That is the power of choice. And uh, we're going to get into that because that is a beautiful thing um, because a lot of people just drift and they live their life drifting. And but when you introduce the power of choice, it is a tremendous purposeful type of living. It's different than just uh, drifting back. Doc, I want to talk to you about your childhood. This is the place after your mom and dad kissed this beautiful girl that was born in the hospital and they're bringing her home. And they're going to place her, and I say this from time to time because I chuckle at it. They put us in this beautiful thing called a crib. And it is the first limitation that you and I experience in our life because every single baby I've ever met is always trying to climb out of that thing. So here you are. They've placed you in this beautiful um, room within the crib, and they have started program. You talk to me about that family unit and all of the belief system that you obtain within that framework? Yeah, I came from a family that was loving. Um, 
But I feel we had a lot of rules. Mm -hmm. My dad was ex-military and we were um, raised in the Roman Catholic faith. And so we had a lot of rules we had to follow. Yeah, some strict stuff. And very strict. Um, and I, I picked up on there were things that were very good to do and very bad to do. Mm -hmm. um, I was also raised where education and grades mattered very much. So I remember getting in trouble for like a 98 or anything less than a hundred. Wow. And I know the intentions were well, and I was loved and I was giving everything that I wanted. I, however, it felt like I took on this persona that life was very black and white. There were things that made you a good person, things that made you a bad person. And if you couldn't achieve perfection, that somehow um, I was just missing the mark. Mm. And I carried that through college. And of course, I was successful because I knew how to study. I learned very well because that's a way that I received love in my family. And so I found that it became a cage, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's something that, um, as I grew into a young adult, I just felt this moral compass about the right way to do things and getting everybody to see my way. And I knew that way and everything perfect and lined up. And, and so it built, built up this tension inside of me that, um, I just thought was a way of life. I didn't realize that I was doing it to myself. I didn't realize till I started reading and investigating that. Uh, and so, because of that tension, mm -hmm. right? I wanted relief from that tension. And so alcohol became something that I chose to do. And in my 20s, and of course, it's about, you know, having fun and letting loose and going to parties. And I really loved how alcohol made me feel mm -hmm. like I didn't have to live under these rules or be this perfect person or, um, you know, watch what I say. And it, it was exhausting to keep up this perfectionistic persona. Um, so then over time, you know, alcohol just became this habit in my life where it started to increase, increase. And I felt it allowed me to be a version of me that I really liked and mm -hmm. it felt very free. Wow. That is um I, I could see that being the other side to your life based on the legalistic aspect of the programming and how you interpret that programming that uh, caused you to do the things that you did. We, I, I grew up, I'm, I'm a pastor's kid. We call the P-Kids. PK kids, the worst people, um, because we come out, we are in this uh, bubble that you, you know, you can't do this. You got to live this way. And then as soon as we taste freedom, doc, we go kind of, you know, nuts. And, and nobody, they said nobody could party like a PK's kid. So I can understand some of what you went through and how you interpret uh, the legalistic part of it. There are lots of benefits within there, but when we have a skewed interpretation of something, it, it uh, we call that trauma. And from that trauma, we, we start making decisions that will affect our life. Here you are, this young woman. Talk to me a little about, I know you mentioned a little briefly about college, but I want to go back a little. In your high school, how did you manage that legalistic um, lifestyle and uh, within the framework of high school? Interesting. I felt um, 
I started to get this sense that I was not good enough, right? If my mm-hmm. grades weren't perfect, if I wasn't getting on the honor roll, if I wasn't in honors, um, you know, there was just this level of I had to achieve all the time. Yeah. Um, and so it just felt like life was all about achieving. So naturally, mm-hmm. even now, I'm a very high achiever. It, it, it was indoctrinated into me. This is what you can't stop. You have to keep going. You have to keep achieving. Yeah. Um, and so it was hard for me to have fun because I always kept thinking, oh my gosh, I, I can't slow down. I need to keep reading. I need to keep studying. I need to keep doing. I need to keep wow. in all these activities and I need to be the best And when I was running track and be the best field hockey player. And um, so there was this aura of this like pressure a lot. Uh, and I was just, yeah, I just kind of thought maybe there's, you know, this is the way life is. And um, having fun wasn't a big part of that. And so when you when you had the chance to have fun, as you mentioned, and I know, as again, the PK kids, and I could sense some of your um, angst about freedom that you began to identify with or to perceive freedom as we began to slowly destroy ourselves. Um, talk to me about, um, as you mentioned, the, uh, the alcohol and stuff like that. How did that affect you besides feeling the freedom Uh, within that framework, um, the unrestrained uh, uh, lifestyle. But talk to me as to what was happening within the inner part of you as a young woman in that space. I really just resonated with um, there's more to do and you have to accomplish it. And if you don't, you won't be deserving of love. You won't get where you want to in life. Um, It's all about the next goal, the next brass ring you can collect. (laughs) That may, I definitely internalized that. I went on to get multiple degrees and certifications. And Mm -hmm. I do love being a constant learner of myself and of the environment. Um, Yeah, but it was just this nonstop, like, keep going, keep going, keep achieving. And, you know, there came a lot of benefit. Like I became a very curious person because you just get burned out in like some of the academic stuff. So I just became curious reader on my own. And I still have that passion uh, reading and love to read. Um, But really just internalizing that I'm not good enough. um, I need to try harder. Um, And when I had alcohol, right, and it wasn't a problem in my youth. It wasn't a problem until um, probably my 30s. It became more of a habit. I used it um, in a way that just allowed me to release myself, like let down, let my hair down, not care about anything, have fun, because I didn't know those skills without alcohol. Mm -hmm. I needed this liquid in my body to give me that permission to go ahead and just not care. So uh, that's where I wanted to bring you, because um, as you began to uh, indulge, as they say, you walk through, what made you choose, first of all, what made you choose the profession that you are? Where did that come about within your oh, journey? Yes. So I had a paper route as a child. I had two. And um, I remember <laughs> you, back you're not when you go house to house. <laughs> <laughs> When you're talking about over, just doing something over and over, this is awesome. Go ahead. <laughs> yes, it wasn't just enough to have one, so I had two. And um, I would go. These were back in the days where you'd go to the house and collect the money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember in my town there was a lot of old people, and they would just talk about um, how their aches and their pains. They don't understand, you know, 
why they have so much pain and then this condition and that condition. So I just was like, wow, I really want to help these people um, out of their pain. I want to uh, understand medicine. I want to understand the body. I want to understand how health um, and how to keep it mm -hmm. and, and, and pills. Basically, I was really interested in medicine and how that helps the body. So it was through my paper route that I've been really interested in medicine. And so I went on to become a pharmacist, which is very important to the whole alcohol story because in my yeah, you should know 30s better. and 40s when <laughs> alcohol, <laughs> exactly, as a healthcare practitioner, you know all the statistics, right? Yeah. It's, and so it was the side of me that I, um, I didn't feel I can let anybody know about. Yeah because my license would be at risk. Mm -hmm. um, so I never talked about it with a healthcare practitioner for fear that it would go in my medical record and that would be discovered by an employer of mine at some point. Um, or I'd, it would set me up for a precondition, you know, pre-existing condition. Um, so I knew enough to keep my mouth shut, but then by that path, I didn't know how to get myself help yeah. and I couldn't help myself. Yeah. I was, I was drinking, you know, like a bottle of wine a night, sometimes more. Um, and that went on for quite a few years. I'd say at least seven or eight before I was like, I, I, I know this isn't good for my body. My body's not handling it well. I have the mental brain fog, forgetting conversations. I'm not liking who I'm turning into and how I'm showing up, my family. And that's when I was like, I want to get this under control. One of the things that you'd mentioned previously that I, I, I wanted to get back to is the, the hunger for knowledge to know. I think that is very important in one's life, in one's development, the hunger to know. And uh, you had it, um, I'm listening to your story all. So here you are, you're you, as much as anyone can say you're successful looking from the outside, will say, here's a successful young woman um, who is on top of her game, as they say. And uh, but internally, you're having the, this uh, conflict. And I could see the dichotomy between the uh, this young girl being in that strict and your profession is also uh, coupled with some guidelines that you cannot behave a certain way, and yet you are secretly drinking a bottle of wine. So now talk to me as this uh, professional woman that is drinking, and she begins to say, wait a minute, I am not performing to the best of my ability. I need answers. How did you begin that search? Where did you go? And was there an incident that took place that forced you in that direction ASAP? Yeah. So I struggled when I was looking at the, the traditional model of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, AA, or complete abstinence. Mm -hmm. And I struggled for a few reasons when I considered that as an option. First is I didn't want the end goal that that was promoting. And I, I didn't want total abstinence. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to be more powerful than the alcohol. I wanted to be able to be around it, not change my friends or not, um, or having to avoid bars or restaurants <clears throat> because alcohol was present, yeah, right? Yeah. I, I felt that was still a powerless kind of state mm -hmm. and I just wanted not to be phased by it. And if I had a drink, I would be able to stop Yeah, kind of like I used to be able to do in the past. Mm -hmm. So 
I wanted to explore if there was a way to get there. Um, and so this concept of powerlessness always didn't sit well with me because I knew God had given me a brain and he gives us, the, you know, he gives us the gift of free will mm -hmm. where we can choose for ourselves. And that felt good to me. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to explore if there were a way to do that. Um, so I started doing the research because I started to think, okay, alcohol is just like my profession. It's just a drug. It's just something we do to self-medicate. Um, so I'm like, okay, let me just get over the shame and over the powerlessness around this and just look at alcohol as a drug. What does it do when it enters our body? How does it affect our brain? How does it keep us in that habit mode, right? Because it lights up the reward center of the brain and if we crave it more, just like sugar, just like heroin, mm -hmm. just like smoking, right? So once I saw it as this substance that has this effect on the body, I just broke it down like a scientist yeah, yeah. and started to shed back the shame. Now, also on this journey, I was looking for help online in a confidential way because mm -hmm. there was no way I wanted my reputation ruined, yeah. my license revoked, any of that. That was very important to me since I worked so hard for that. Yeah. Um, and so I found a coach who can help me online privately, confidentially to rid myself of this, of this habit. To me, it didn't feel as bad as an addiction. Mm -hmm. um, maybe I was addicted. I don't want to say that I'm naive to think I wasn't. It just felt like this nightly habit. I had. It was my way to wind down. It was my way to transition from the stress of work into, into home life and raising my daughter and my husband with that. So when I found my coach and she helped me, I was like, I even said to her, I remember this and I have a podcast on this. This is better than pills. <laughs> like this really can affect people in a, a more major way than just medication. Yeah. So I became fascinated. I think medication serves its purpose, but when not used correctly, it can know the senses and because uh, we are programmed in a certain manner that uh, we don't step out of what I call the normal aspect society and uh, contain us with what you need to be. and especially within the uh, the healthcare arena you cannot step outside of what is considered the normal uh, because if you do you're treading on all kinds of stuff. And because we're such a legalistic society in America, <laughs> it's a place you don't want. Most people don't want to go. And many of the answers don't are outside that fence. And um, I try to tell herbal medicine was way before. The, and so, do um, you know why they do that? And we all know. So here you are, you found your coach. You are um, getting yourself. I love how you talked yourself using the science, the knowledge that you had, how you broke down what exactly is your behavior with the alcohol. And once you have that understanding, because you're the second person that I've heard dealt with it exactly like that, once they broke it down and showed, uh, okay, this is what's next step, this is what it, the power of it began to subside. And they now began to understand the process of what's happening to them from the medical side. And they were able to uh, navigate through. You're the second person. So that's why one of the reasons why I was excited to talk to you to see how you um, did it. And you did exactly like So here you are. You've got your, your, your team together. Your coach is there. And you're walking through some of the things. One of the, the, 
most uh, powerful uh, uh, demon, as you say, as you as you mentioned, uh, shame, one of the monsters. How did you manage that? Was that through the knowledge of, as you said, the, the steps, or was it something that kept visiting you? Uh, because shame is a powerful negative force when you allow it to reside within your spirit. Talk to me about how did you overcome that aspect? Yeah, I think it was listening to podcasts on this um, and hearing. Uh, I remember my coach at the time had said, alcohol is just neutral. And I kind of was like, what? <laughs> it's just neutral? You know, I have this very black and white thinking. Things yeah. are good or bad. And when I drink, I'm bad. Yeah. When I don't drink, I'm good. You know, so it's, and then, so just recognizing that maybe there are certain things that are just, if we just put it on the neutral category, mm -hmm. can my brain make some inroads? You know, can my brain accept that maybe this habit is neutral? And if it is, and I could just look at it as a behavioral way I'm responding, and it's not meaning I'm bad, yeah. the alcohol is bad. If we just take away the good and the bad and just put things in neutrality, it allowed my brain to make progress. It allowed my brain to not be so hard on myself, mm -hmm. not condemn myself and not criticize myself and say, oh my gosh, you're not perfect. You're not measuring up here, Sherry. You know, it's just, you're not good. And so if I got to that neutrality field, then my brain was like, okay, let's look at this a bit. Okay. Yeah. What is shameful about it? Okay. Why are you embarrassed about it? Uh, and if this happened to somebody else, would I think of them that way? And the answer is no, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it's just a habit you fall into and it's meeting a need. And so we started to peel back the layers of like, what need is this meeting for me? And are there other ways I can have that want or that met? And that was like, what? <laughs> oh, there is a way you can solve this. Yeah. And it's not, um, you are a bad person or, um, I have to take alcohol and you can't be trusted around it. Like that felt more shameful to me. So looking at it as, oh, okay, this is just a habit you picked up and putting it in that neutrality box. So we can just break apart the layers really allowed my brain to, um, seek more information because it was blocked with the shame. Mm -hmm. It was blocked embarrassment. It is, um, when you carry that fear-based belief system and the world is like that, fair base we see that all the healthcare yes. system is fair base whole yes. world belief system is fair base and because it's that way that is one of the things that is used to keep us into the in that fence of normal because if you step out of that fence you and you uh, set yourself free from fair base uh, programming you become different so here you are you're you're becoming different because you're now taking this whole thing and uh, breaking it down and seeing the difference between the bad and good. Because with your personality, that's baked in there from since you were this uh, child uh, living with your on the, uh, in that home, the military aspect of it and that strict religious aspect of it. And here you are now sitting there looking at um, from the religious aspect. That's some bad stuff you're doing, girl. Um, uh, and you're now beginning to make it neutral and uh, sit down and find your center space. Talk to me, Doc, about here, because a lot of people, um, and I know, I, I know, I, I, I got it. I started getting in the habit as just as you. Um, healthcare is a tough business, man. I came out of healthcare, and um, 
but you, you need that glass of wine, trust me, when you get home, just to, just to bring yourself out of that place. And um, before you know it, it grows and grows. And so I understand that. And now talk to me as you began to look at it medically and began to uh, look at it as a neutral partner. And how did you start to rewire your mind, your brain into that? Because that's a tough place for your personality to be, to accept that. How did you move in that space? Yeah, for me, it was really about starting. Again, no blame, no criticism, good or bad. Um, just why am I doing it? Just why am I doing it, right? And sometimes the first couple answers that come up aren't the real why. Yeah. So, oh, I like the taste. Oh, it's just what I do, <laughs> right? It's And alcohol is a learned taste because yeah. the first couple times you have alcohol, most of us don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but once you peel back, like, is that really why I'm drinking? Is it really why I'm drinking for the taste? Well, there's other beverages out there that I like taste. Is it really? Um, and so once you start getting under the surface things that your brain will want to kind yeah. of protect that habit, mm -hmm. you know, it likes to say, oh, it's fine. Oh, it's just, you know, a bottle. There are people doing pints out there or whatever. Um, so it wants to justify and hang on to it. I feel when you first start doing these questions, but then like the next time we met and the next time I met and the next time I met with my coach, it was like, I see what I wasn't, my brain wasn't to show me. It's starting to show me that, oh, I have a special needs daughter and she's not perfect. And that's painful to me because I feel everybody should be perfect. And I was running her around to all these specialists trying to fix her brain and fix this thing. And, and um, I wasn't getting anywhere. I was actually driving a fork and a stake between our relationship. And she started to develop more outbursts. And, um, she, I think she at a young age just felt that I was trying to fix her and this caused her stress. Yeah. And so it actually increased her symptoms. And so I was, I was just caught up in this, like, I need to do everything and fix everything. And, and, and that what is what made me more reliant on the alcohol because it was the only place I I found relief. And so understanding, oh, that's an area of my life that I'm trying to, again, take this perfectionistic way mm -hmm. or do your best kind of way. And how can I ease into that? And what is she teaching me as we're going to these appointments and she's getting worse, yeah. right? So just that stepping back, that awareness, because um, I was such on the go, go, go. Yep. And I think there's so much you learn in the rest and receive, right? And so I needed to do a lot more of resting, observing, and receiving. And I wasn't. I was just performing. Yeah. When you got there and you understood, you began to get the revelation of reason. How did it how did because now you're going deeper, you're all the superficial answer being the real reason behind the action um shown to you or revealed this perfectionist, how did she handle it? One more time, I think my internet, sorry. How did that perfectionist that is you handle the information when you got there and they found out that it was this perfection, uh, this thinking, when you got there and you you realized what it was that it was causing that, how did you handle it? Because this is, this is a major part of you, this perfectionist part. How did you deal with that information when you found out? At first, I cried. <laughs> um, I cried for both sad that 
I feel I need to be that way. Mm -hmm. And I've cried for relief that it's okay, that I'm not that way. And if that is the problem, that I also was part of the solution. So it was a mixture of sadness, joy, relief. Um, and that's where I learned that maybe I don't need to always trust in the experts, run around to the experts, and that I have inter internal wisdom that I have been ignoring. And I think that was leading to this negative energy buildup. Yeah. And once I tapped into, she just needs more love. She just needs this. She, my daughter just needs that. Um, her outburst started to come down. Mm -hmm. No medication, no therapy, no expert, none of this trends. You know, I we put magnets on her head trying to yeah. increase connection between the brain. I mean, we did, we were doing all these things on label and off label and those weren't helping and making it worse And what her soul and what we needed was to connect. And once I saw how that connection and just being, I think just learning to be in love and connection and that started to heal her so much. Wow. So how and did I was it feel? in that medical model for a long time, yeah. thinking it's the medical model that's going to help. And it really just intensified. How did it feel when you surrender, Doc? When you go, okay, I don't need to be a perfectionist anymore. I just need to move through and um, love my daughter. And how did you, once you surrendered, how did that affect your other relationships? You, you spoke about your husband and... Um, your professional uh, uh, relations, how did that change, if any, once you surrendered and realized that, wait a minute, I don't have to carry this burden? Yeah, it felt so freeing. It's like the change just started to come off day by day by day. And I started to soften, right? I was mm -hmm. this hardcore run, yeah. run, run, let's do this, get in the car, buckle your seatbelt, like very commanding. Um, uh, funny. Like? If, if, yes. <laughs> And um, that was like the mirror moment. You know, you're looking at yourself going, oh, my gosh, I'm parenting the way I didn't want to parent. It doesn't feel good to uh, do this. Um, so just softening into, okay, uh, the m emotional side of a human being, extremely, especially during nice. development. And I was, I was missing that. And so it was really nice to invite that part of myself back, mm -hmm. um, connect with that part of myself so I can connect with that part in others. Yeah. Instead powerful. of, yeah. Instead of just treating people like my to-do list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, we, the human yeah. experience, we are an emotional, uh, being, uh, the Bible spirit breathed into the, when God kissed this mud, that man became a living soul. And the Bible tells us, and so we are a powerful being emotionally, and that's why we attach. We emotionally attach trauma. Uh, when something happened to us externally, we will attach our emotion to it internally, and then it creates all the beautiful monsters as we begin to play that tape over and over in our mind that we are less than. The less than um, uh, playlist, as I tell people, you know, change your playlist in your, your life. Just change your life. Um, as you began to uh, move from that place, because that must, uh, and you, I could see it in your face, the liberation comes differently than you had with the alcohol. And so here you are experiencing this new liberation based on relinquishing a perfectionist uh, mindset or belief system. 
and you begin to experience, uh, enjoy a degree of uh, newness within your life and joy and happiness. So here you are. You have uh, you've started on this piece where you're moving. Talk to me about how it started to, you mentioned your daughter began to change. How did your, because it always comes, I tell people, fix you first. Um, the principle is to fix you first. And as you fix you, you're able to, the principle is that you're going to love your neighbor as you love you. So you're fixing you. Talk to me about your neighborhood, meaning your family, your kids, your friends, those places. That as you begin to change, how did you begin? People, how did you begin to look at them? How did you begin to look at, how did you begin to let all of um, a meeting? It's kind of like a, I come back to this word for me, because um, I was stern and driven and I, I just feel this softening. Now I'm still quite driven, but I have a softening to yeah. it all where they're just, um, I used to call walking into a bar and behind the bar with all the beautiful bottles. I used to call it, look at all that candy. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a candy store to me. Uh, I can make martinis and cocktails. And um, and it just felt like, wow, look at all those pretty bottles. And, and, and then I just naturally would keep glazing somewhere else in the restaurant. It wasn't like a fixation. It wasn't like, a, gotta have it. Can't wait to sit down. Can't wait till somebody comes to my table and offers to serve me, right? It, it wasn't this, I'm constantly moving forward with an intensity. It's kind of like, oh, let's just enjoy the experience. Let's enjoy the human experience a bit more. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's like, I know we use this word and I think it's overused and that's why I'm trying to use other words. It's like being mm -hmm. more mindful um, yeah. and present. And mm -hmm. I know for me, when I hear those words, I'm like, oh, I just glaze over them because they're overused. So it's just like a softening into what is yeah. and not this constant need to excel or get my emotional, get my emotional um, like relief immediately. And, and how I can learn tools to do that with my mind yeah. is get into that space. And that was something that was never taught in healthcare. <laughs> never, <laughs> and never. we weren't, we weren't supposed to experience emotions, right? You're supposed to have these difficult conversations with a poker face, um, with the family. Yeah. And that, that just felt very unsettling. Um, it's like, I want to be sad because we have to make difficult decisions. And, and so emotions weren't safe growing up for me. They weren't safe in the healthcare system for me. Um, and so learning how to be with them in appropriate ways, right? Like mm -hmm. not saying you go in and you, you cry, uh, you're not just dramatically different, but there are ways to let down yeah. and areas in your life where you can let down. And it's not uh, a reliance on something outside of you to be, get there or do that. Talk and my them. relationships with people with yeah. are better, right? It's not like I'm um, so hurried. I, I don't know. I just feel that there's this like more space in my life where I'm more. That is beautiful. That's a great place to be because um, you can allow a, a nurture. It takes, um, you, it, it's like a nurturing place where you're, you can breathe, you can have a conversation and engage with someone. When you, when you received your gift of choice, how was that? How, how liberating was that? Because again, we had it early about um, that space of where you get to, where it was no longer a dominant force in your life. When you got there, how was it? Do you remember um, the circumstances, the situation that when you got there, wow, 
I'm actually here. Do you remember that? Yes. It's like going out to dinner was a big one. I always love to have fancy cocktails or fancy mm -hmm. wine. And it's like, I just don't want it. How mm. is this possible? At, <laughs> I've come into this place so many times. I have my favorite dishes, my favorite drinks. And it's kind of like, yeah, I just don't even want it. And yeah. to go days without drinking is like, what? <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's almost like you're in shock of yourself. Wow. Um, it's like, wow. It's And um, I love, um, and then you just stumble upon things in your life. You stumble upon people that you have meaningful conversations and you share, like I share my story. Wow. It's amazing. And you get them thinking and then, you know, friends come back and say, Hey, can you share a little bit more? Cause that's yeah. where I'm at on my journey. Um, I just feel that God just brings to you, um, how he's using that hurt as a light in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it just started to intensify in my stomach. Like I felt this it's like a burning. Uh, I, I hadn't planned to leave the pharmacy profession ever. I loved mm. pharmacy, but he kept growing that fire in my belly. Uh, you need to do this for other. You need to put this out there. Um, yeah. There are so many people struggling with you that it's your voice that's going to help liberate them. I need you to work for this cause. <laughs> and, and then it's like, I couldn't ignore it anymore. And yeah, so I left pharmacy to coaching, help women on their journey with mm -hmm. uh, freedom around alcohol. It's a great and fearful, not fearful. Yeah, it's scary. Oh, <laughs> when, it was scary. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about because the same happened to me. Um, uh, I was uh, I was in the professional aspect of working and all that stuff. And um, I kept putting off. I kept feeling this pull that was there for many years. And I kept talking myself out of it, actually talking to God saying, I don't, I'm, you know, because I was a single dad with my boys. And I'm like, well, I have to provide for the boys. And I had all kinds of excuses. And then I came to a space where I almost died. I'm laying there and I'm like, okay, okay, I got your message. I'm not going to go out this way. I am going to, let's do this. And um, some people are stubborn like me to that point. And so, but he'll, he'll meet you where you are. And so he met me in the hospital in ICU and shook me and says, are you ready? And I got up and left and I know the fearfulness of leaving because all your security that again, that the world tells us that this is how you're going to hold things together. And when you have to um, leave those, that secureness behind and pursue something that, is, that needs to be given birth within you, that God is telling you it's time to give birth. Uh, so we are now embarking on the Bible, that walk of faith where you don't know any taking step. So here you are, you've taken this step and uh, you move forward through your, into this newness of being. And I believe that there's a scripture that tells us the reason uh, we went through whatever we went through so that we can now minister people in this aspect. And being in the corporate uh, American world, I know thousands of people are just like you and I. I. They would see me walking into my favorite bar and they would have my my drink ready for me before I even come in. That's how um, that's how they knew me. You know, I, I would walk in to, and as I'm coming in, the bartender sees me, my drink is made before I'm even there, just pick it up on the table. That's how first. So I know exactly thousands of people. And those of us that are, those of you that are listening to this podcast, I want you to get in touch with DACA. And I know that many of you are in this space. It is, and you're having this conversation of, 
well, you know, I'm not an addict. I'm not, I'm not a drug. We know all those conversations. We had them. Um, but I want you guys to reach out to Doc so that she can talk, so she can engage with, get into her classes so that you can be free to become who you were meant to be while you're here on Earth. It is some beautiful doc. Thank you for coming by, friends of him, spending time with us. I deeply appreciate the story. Thank you. And I just want to leave with, um, there's a verse in the Bible that really resonates with me. It's from 2 Timothy uh, verse 1-7. For the Spirit of God gave us not, for the Spirit of God gave us, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And I just think that's a beautiful Yeah, and uh, we need some of that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Everyone who's listening to this podcast, we hope to continually help you to learn how to embrace moments of darkness because it is in the darkness that we learn how to develop and use our abilities to truly see those parts of ourselves often invisible to us in the light. It becomes your responsibility to navigate through all of your trials to find out who you truly are, and begin your journey to loving yourself, which is possibly one of the most difficult things you will ever do in your life. To love yourself and to find the real you, but always remember to enjoy the journey. Thank you for coming by. Please subscribe. And if you can support us financially, we deeply appreciate it. Until next time, invite your family, friends, neighbors, anyone that you can. You can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Overcast, and many more.